So, um, really quick before I read the passage. Okay, First John. Um, so we are starting a, a new series looking at the book of First John. Um, I would think, I think one time I broke it up of how many sections I want to preach out of it. And I think it should last us a little bit, maybe into the new year, but definitely through the rest of this month, October, November, a few times we meet in December. And, and here's the thing. When it comes to New Testament epistles, so in that little section of scripture, 1 John is my favorite book. Okay? In fact, if any of you ever go to Bible college or um, if you study Koine Greek, which is the type of Greek that the New Testament is written in, um, typically the first book that they have you translate in Greek is the book of 1 John. And part of the reason is because it has very familiar language, so it's, they have a lot of big vocab words, and the grammar is pretty easy. So um, I remember the, um, taking Greek, studying all my paradigms, luo, luais, luete, luomen, luusi, all this different stuff, you know, the present active indicative, indicative and the imperatives and the subjunctives, the participles and all this different stuff, and I'm just learning the grammar, right? Just learning the grammar. And finally, it comes time to where we can take all this of what we learned in Greek and we can say, okay, now we're going to open up the, New, the Greek New Testament and we're going to translate. And I was so excited. I just remember thinking, like, how many people, how many Christians have had the opportunity to comb through the passage in the original language? And, and I just remember feeling, like, giddy inside. Like, I get to sit here and... And it took me like probably like 30 minutes to translate the first two verses or something like that, you know, stay a long time. And then it was probably any good of a translation. But it was just like, you, it was fun because I got to sit there with the original Greek language and, and translate. And so 1 John has a very sentimental part of my own life, not just because it was the first book I studied in Greek, but also because when I was a freshman in high school, I came to a cross point in my faith. At that point, I, I, I'd been raised in the church. I'd gone to youth group. I went to all the camps. I went to the mission trips. And I, and I got to a point where, okay, am I, am I going to live this? Am I going to act as if Christ really is the Lord of my life? And one of the first books I turned to was the book of 1 John. So I would like for us to read the passage that we're going to consider tonight. Um, tonight will be a little bit of introduction to the book to help us understand why John wrote this letter, why is it important, why should we study it, and why I think it's relevant for you, particularly students, to know the book of 1 John. So let's go ahead and read. We're just going to start in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we endeavor 
to see what these couple of verses mean and what they would have for us. God, I just pray for your grace. God, I pray that as we begin to look at this book in the next couple of weeks, God, that, that it would be meaningful. God, help us not just approach another series as, okay, we need to find time or something to talk about, but God, I just pray that tonight we would have a mindset of, this is, this is your word, and that you want to speak to us. So God, give us hearts that are ready to hear. God, give us minds that are going to engage. And, and God, help us to be ready to quickly obey what your word is calling us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The reason why I, I think, as I, I spent a lot of time in the summer thinking about what is, the, what is the one thing that I really want to make this fall useful for? What is the one book, the one series that I really think would be time well spent and then the more I thought about it, and the more I prayed about it, and I talked with others, I just remember just always having this burden of First John. First John. You see, I, I like First John because in one sense, it also it gives us a glimpse into what the early church looks like. So most people, I know it's kind of a little bit of discrepancy, they, they, they say that the book of First John was written anywhere from 60 to 100 A.D., Okay? Now, to give you a little bit of perspective, Jesus died around 33 AD. Okay? So we're looking anywhere from like 30 to 70 years after Christ died. The book of 1 John helps us get a view and a glimpse into what the church looks like. And let me be very clear. It had a lot of false teachers. There was a lot of corruption. There was a lot of misunderstanding of what the gospel actually is. Okay? I remember when I was a little kid... We had a pastor Q&A, right? And someone, a little, I think it was like a, a sparky, a little kindergartner, got in this mic, and the pastor had like a doctorate degree, I think. And this little kid was like, why is there a first John, a second John, a third John, and a plain old John? Mic drop, right? And um, that's a good question, right? Like, why is there so many different Johns in the Bible, right? Um, if you're from, like, Australia... They call it one John, not first John. Um, Donald Trump, speaking at Liberty University. Just turn your Bibles to one Corinthians, or two Corinthians. Bro. Bro, do you even read your Bible, bro? So, um, so to, really, to explain that really quick, um, the person who wrote the Gospel of John, so if you flip over a few pages, um, in my Bible, it's uh, from page 1020 to like... Uh, 886, okay? The same person is writing all four of these letters, okay? So John, his first thing that he ever wrote was the Gospel of John, okay? Now, really quick, if you want to turn to the Gospel of John, turn to chapter 20, verse 31. That would be good. John chapter 20, verse 31. If your Bible is kind of like mine, it gives you a nice little nifty heading right above verse 30. It says, the purpose of this book, right? Isn't that, I wish in college when I was reading books, like they would just state it. This is my thesis. Da, 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 da. That would make me not have to read the book as long, right? I can just <laughs> um, write. But, 
So John here, he gets through his whole, he's been talking about, if you know anything about the Gospel of John, it's like the, the number seven is like a key thing. There are seven miracles. There are seven I am statements. There are seven this, uh, arguments of the Pharisees, seven, 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 all these different things. So he, he's writing about Jesus, and he, and he talks a lot about uh, Jesus before Pontius Pilate and the crucifixion, and he gets to the end of John, and in verse 30, we'll start in verse 30, he says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, in my gospel, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John right here is saying, I have written all of this gospel for this purpose, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and have life in his name. You see, what, what, what he's saying here is, I've written this gospel as a way for you to come to know who Jesus is. Which is why I think it's still appropriate that when we're, when we're evangelizing someone and we want to get them to read the Bible, we, you hear a lot of people say, have them read the Gospel of John. Because the Gospel of John was written for the very purpose that those who do not know Jesus would come to know that Jesus is the Son of God and to have life in His name. So that is the purpose of John's Gospel. Now here's the thing. John's Gospel, you imagine he wrote it, and start, people start making copies, and it, and it gets circulated, and all this different stuff. And it's kind of a big book, right? It's like 20, 21 chapters long, and some of, the cha- some of the chapters are like 60 verses in it. And what you had happened was people started misinterpreting everything that John had written in his Gospel. And so what he did is he began to write 1 John as an interpretation, as an interpretive key to the gospel of John. Does that make sense? So anyways, he's writing the gospel in order that you may know who Jesus is. Evangelism. Now, if you just go back to 1 John really quick. Just, just track with me for a second. huh? I'm just asking you to track. And flip over to 1 John. Tyler, give us your Bible. I stand corrected. 1 John, chapter 5. I can't see everything, right? Come on. 1 John, chapter 5. Verse 13. Okay? So, John 20, 31, he gives his purpose statement. Now in 1 John 5, does someone want to read verse 13 for us? Like in a loud, strong voice. I believe in that one person. Whoever you are. All right, Jesse, take us there. 13? Yep. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Perfect. You see, we're in the Gospel of John. John is trying to write in order that you may know Jesus. In this little book, you ready for this? He is writing that you may have the assurance and the confidence that you have eternal life. In essence, what he's doing in 1 John is he is doing this. He's, he's answering the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does a Christian look like? How can you tell the real Christian from someone who merely professes that they are a Christian? Do, do you guys think that happens a lot? That there are people all the time who say they are a Christian, but in fact that they are not? How do you go about getting assurance that you in fact 
really do have Christ in your heart? These are the questions that this little book, five chapters in all, addresses. John says, in my gospel, I want you to know who Jesus is. In the book of 1 John, I want you to have the assurance that you actually do know who Jesus is. Let me be extremely clear right here. There's a danger for every single one of us, and I'm including myself here. There's a danger for us that just because we know some of the things about Jesus, that one time we said a prayer in Vacation Bible School, we think that we have fellowship with God. We think that we are born again. And what John is saying here is, listen, there's a lot of confusion sometimes. And what I want you to do is I want you to get to the point that you have the assurance, the confidence to know that I am a Christian. I hope by the end of 1 John, two things would happen. One, that either you would realize and have the confidence that, yes, in fact, I am a Christian. I have been born again. Or two, that you realize that you're not a Christian and that you would turn to Christ and repent from your sins. Right? It's either that we get this assurance that we want and this, this encouragement and this challenge to keep going in the Christian life, or some of us who think that we're Christians, and we come to find out that really our trust hasn't been in Christ, but it's been in ourselves. That is what 1 John is getting at. It is a book of tests. All through 1 John, he is going to raise up a test, a question for you to consider. And there's three different types of tests. So the first one is a doctrinal test, right? It says, do you know the gospel? Do you actually understand that Jesus is God come in the flesh? Do you realize that he atones for sins? You have to be able to have the right doctrine. You have to know the right things in order to be a Christian. The second thing is, there's a relational test. Do you have an actual relationship with God that shows itself by having fellowship with other Christians? You see, the reason why I love 1 John, because if there's ever a Christian group that struggles with unity, that struggles with, with, with just kind of like, uh, we call these things cliques, if there's a Christian group or a youth group that struggles with I'm only going to talk to these people and those people. I'm just going to leave them alone. The book of 1 John says, listen, if you, in fact, are connected to God, every Christian needs to be someone that you have a relationship with. And that's one of the tests of whether or not we are showing love to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And the third thing is a moral test. Does your life live up to the morals of what God has called us to do? You'll see throughout 1 John, he brings up a lot of these key themes. And one of them is light and darkness. In God, there is no darkness at all. And therefore, as Christians, if I really have accepted Christ and I know him, my life will live like it. Now, if you ask me, in light of what we have talked in just a few weeks ago, in, in, in our vision series, we talked about some of our core values being what? That we would know the gospel, that we would grow in the gospel, and that we would go in the gospel. And I, I think First John hits on all of these, that we actually do know who Jesus is, that we have a relationship with him and with others. 
and that morally our lives live up to it. So listen, I am trying to give you reasons of why I think this book should be relevant in your life. I want you guys to read this book. I want you to read it at least one time every single week. I know it's a lofty goal, right? But it's only five chapters that you would read this book over and over and over and over again. That way, when we time we get to chapter five, you know exactly what is being said there. Because 1 John stabs right at the heart of what I call easy believism. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. My life's not really changed, though. It doesn't really make a difference in my day-to-day. But I want to go to heaven. Hell sounds kind of lame. I'm a, I, will, I will adamantly seek to shut that down every single time. Because easy believism is probably by far like the most gross lie that I think the American church has bought into. So, I've said a lot about why First John is important. So I would like to just spend a few minutes tonight going over these first four verses. So John wants to set the tone of why this book is important, okay? So there are three things that I would like to say of why he wants to write this letter. So in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1, we see the aim of where he's trying to take us and why it is important, okay? So the first concern that John has in this little letter concerns the word of life. You read verse 1. That which was from the beginning... Pause, right? Pause. That which was from the beginning. Now again, understanding 1 John really helps if we understand the Gospel of John, right? So a lot of times in the early church, when someone had a copy of the Gospel of John, the book of 1 John became a bookend, where a lot of times they would go in a company with each other. So if you have read the Gospel of John, you would know that in the very beginning of of John chapter 1, I'll read it. It says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what he's doing right there, he's saying that God was in Jesus. Verse 14, he picks up, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm going to get real nerdy on you for a second here, okay? In Greek, we have this tense called the imperfect. Okay? So, I, it's funny. I just think of all these tenses and little dot, and it points backwards, and it means a continuing action in the past, and there's this, and it points to the future, but only in this amount of future. But anyways, what he's doing here is he's using this, this imperfect tense. In the beginning was the word. Okay? And what he's also doing, that which was from the beginning, imperfect tense again. What he is saying is he's saying right there in John 1, the pre-existence of Jesus. That Jesus has always existed. You see, if you want to make an argument that Jesus is in fact God, John 1.1 is the best verse for it. Because it shows the very fact that, that Jesus never had a start date. He is God. And this God became flesh. And so... 
right off the first verse, the first phrase in the book of 1 John, what is he talking about? That which was from the beginning. He's talking about Jesus. The one who comes from the very beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with their eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. What is it? Concerning the word of life. I don't know how many of you have been to court for like, when, is, when do you guys do jury duty? Is it like 18? Yeah. Anyone done jury duty here? Yeah. Tara's like, yeah. I got called up when I skipped out. Oh. Like, okay. So, typically in crimes, um, you have DNA, stuff like that, but if you really want to have a lock-solid case against someone, your best bet is to get what we call an eyewitness. An eyewitness account. Someone who actually saw it happen, okay? When you have a good eyewitness who's not, like, on drugs or drunk or anything like that, like, you almost got, like, a slam-dunk case, right? So, what he is saying here is, like, that which was from the beginning, the word of life. This we have heard. We've heard this word of life. We have seen with our eyes the word of life. We have looked upon it. And we have touched the word of life. He, I, I love this because John is saying, when, when it comes to Jesus, I saw him. I, I actually touched him. I knew what his beard looked like. I heard him with my very own ears. We touch with their hands concerning the word of life. You see, he's emphasizing the fact that everything concerning Jesus, they are front row eyewitnesses. They have touched Jesus. You see, immediately he is trying to give a credibility in what he's about to say concerning Jesus. This is not someone who a hundred years later who just heard a few reports about Jesus. This is the gospel from someone who actually got to walk with Jesus. Jesus called John his, his loved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And in fact, Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had an inner circle too. James, John, and Peter. John was in that inner circle. He was, I don't want to say favorite, but he was a favorite. He knew Jesus well. And what he is saying, he's saying, hey, wait, wait, wait. Listen to me for a second. All those who are about to read this, just listen to me. This is how you can know the word of life. You can trust our word. See, I, I love God's word right here. It is giving us the confidence that what we talk about concerning Jesus actually came from people who walked with him. In essence, John is saying this. When you hear the gospel from me, you are hearing the gospel from a man who knew Jesus, who saw Jesus, who knows who Jesus is, and knows what Jesus taught, importantly. Where do you get your views about God? Where do you get your knowledge and information about who Jesus is? Do you just hear a few things at school and something maybe a parent will say, or maybe the DJ on K-Love will talk about? Sean is saying, no, no, no. 
take my word for it. Listen to what I have to say concerning Jesus. Do you know why? Because I actually knew him. You know, I feel like he, he's, he's pulling that trump card on us, right? Like, hey, you can say whatever you want about Jesus. But hey, none of those people were in his inner circle. I was. And I feel like this, I mean, that one verse, I think is so penetrating. Because I think a lot of us, we do get so many views of God that are so wonky. And I just remember living in Chicago and trying to evangelize a few people. And, well, I just think God is like this. Oh, yeah, what else is he like? Well, I think that God helps those who help themselves. And I would just ask, like, so where do you get all this? Like, how do you know that? Well, this is my views. Thanks for being honest, right? Thanks. John is saying, listen, if you want to be, if you, if you want to know who Jesus really is, listen to me. So I love, he's drawing us in. So the first thing he's saying, listen, the reason why this book is important is because it concerns Jesus. And concerning Jesus is my, what's the word I'm thinking of? Expertise. Expertise, thank you. Because I actually knew Jesus. I think, guys, really, I think the application point there is where do you get your information about God? Can I, be, can I be honest with you for a second? There may be times, I know this is crazy, this is crazy to think, that I might even say something wrong about who God is. I know, Connor is dis- disbelief. There may be times that I say something, we're at coffee, I'm taking Nicole and I'm out to coffee, and I say something, and you're like, man, that didn't sound right. I'm not saying like I'm going to say something heretical, it's going to like derail your faith, but I just might say something like, there's this thing, like, um, we're part of this, this church is part of this denomination called the Evangelical Free Church of America. If you want to know my opinion, that's like a horrible name. Like, what does that even mean? Free of what? Right? I, I know what it means, but like, to someone who doesn't know denominational names, it's like, that sounds scary, right? I, it just, it's not warm. It's not welcoming. That should make me president, right? Anyways, <laughs> one thing I do appreciate about this denomination, when in coming up with their doctrinal statement, with their statement of faith, they ask this one thing always. Where stands it written? If you are going to make a claim about who God is or how the church should be, you need to be able to say where it comes from Scripture. And, and that's exactly what John is saying. That which we, that which is from the beginning, Jesus, concerning the word of life, we have looked upon. In verse 2, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. The second thing that he's concerned about is eternal life. You see, I think rightly so, when you begin to share the gospel, and he writes this gospel, this long thing, 21 chapters, and people start to misinterpret it, and people think that, hey, I'm a Christian, but I also think that I need to follow the law still. He's saying, no, 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 no. I want you to have eternal life. I want you to have fellowship with us. But you need to get a few things straight. So what, what is his aim in the book? What is he concerned about? That you may have eternal life. You know, sometimes I avoid talking about going to heaven, eternal life. Why? Because sometimes there's a temptation of all I really want from God is to go to heaven one day and not go to hell so that I can have my, kind of my, my good little life now and I get heaven on the side, right? Sounds like a pretty good life. But 
It's wrong to never talk about eternal life. I hope that every single one of you values that your soul is in fact eternal. And that what we say here week after week concerning Jesus does have eternal ramifications. And he's saying, listen, I want you to be grounded because I'm concerned about your soul's well-being. We want to be a youth group that gives everyone the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel, right? And we do that by helping students become lifelong lovers of Jesus. But here's the thing. Are you a lifelong lover of Jesus? Gun to your head, can you say with certainty that if you died, you would be with God in paradise? Can you live up to the doctrinal, relational, and moral tests that John lays out in his book? He's concerned with it. You should be too. That you would have fellowship with us. Now that's a phrase that I really had a hard time understanding. Why does he not just say, I'm concerned that you would have fellowship with God? Say, no, 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 I want you to have fellowship with us. And as I began to see a little bit, as I read 1 John, I probably read it maybe 10 times last month, I began to see that he is concerned about, again, the early church. That you get this picture that those who really are of God stay within us. And so there's this really great verse that he says, those who departed from us, in fact, never were of us. That those who left the fold of God, those who left the church to go out and speak their own gospel, to go apart from what I have said in my gospel, those people, they were never Christians in the first place. Oh, that grieves my heart to say how many people I've seen in my church and in my youth group. Kids I went to summer camp with. People I went to Bible college with. People I went to seminary with. Who sang all the same songs that I sang. Who, who listened to all the same Bible stories. Who would say that they were in Christian, but now, in fact, do not follow after Christ. I, I think the only way to interpret that situation is to, to be with John that those who departed from us never were, in fact, of us. And so by him saying, I want you to have fellowship with us, is his way of saying, I know that if you have fellowship with us, that you, in fact, have fellowship with God. See, one of my goals in helping you guys is not just to see the fellowship that we need to have with people in this room, people of our own age. But man, there's something so exciting where, I, where I'm away from my home, like maybe I'm on an airplane, or I'm somewhere far, and I run into a Christian. If you run into someone who really loves the Lord, and you love the Lord, there is an instant connection. We are not strangers. We have fellowship together because we both have fellowship with God. And I love being able to run into old men and old women and they'll see me reading my Bible or reading a book and they just want to come and talk to the nearest Christian. And I want you guys to grow up and learn to see the people in our church and say, oh, it's great to be around Christians. I'll be honest, 
I know a lot of weird Christians. People, if I was not a Christian, I would not call to hang out probably. Are you, are you tracking with me? Like, yeah, you're a little, you're a little funny. Talk kind of strange. But you love Jesus and I love you. I don't know who listens to these, but someone can like erase the next minute or something like that. You know, this, I was hanging out with two youth pastors the other night. And I just remember, I just see them the way they're acting. Like, so I'm a youth pastor too, so I'm kind of reading the field a little bit, right? You know? And I was just like, man, these guys are weird. I am so not like them. And honestly, I did not know whether to feel inferior or superior. Right? Um, I was really stuck in this, like, man. But man, I, I would put my arms around those guys, and, and we're praying. And I am just filled with the Spirit because these guys, they love the Lord. And I probably never would invite them over to my house if I, didn't, if I wasn't a Christian. But I am a Christian, and I want to spend time with them. And I want to hear about their life. And I, and I want to be someone who I can be encouraged by them. And that's what's so great about what John is saying here is I want you to be concerned about having fellowship with other Christians. <coughs> even Christians if they're charismatics. Even Christians if they're Presbyterians. And they, don't, they look at drums in the worship service and think like, What? Blasphemy, right? But man, you love Jesus, I love Jesus. Let's do it together, right? That's what John is concerned about. Last thing. And I'm writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Again, I just scratched my head. Why do you say your joy? Why are you being so selfish? Shouldn't you write so that our joy may be complete? And what he is saying, he's, he's, he's listen, listen, listen. There is nothing more fulfilling than to see others come to grow in their relationship with Christ. Here's the last thing I'll say. It is only with fellowship with the Father and the Son that makes life of a Christian so full of joy. Are you a Christian who is missing out on all of the intimate joy there is with God? Are you a Christian who misses on, on the, the deep and warm fellowship with other Christians? I used to emphasize this a lot, and maybe I'll start doing it more while we go through First John. When I first got here, I would say, like, listen, if you go to the movies with a friend, and you guys watch Men in Black 3, I don't know. It's weird that the movie came to mind. But so say you go watch the new uh, Stork movie, right? Cartoon. And you guys have a fun time and it's great. That friend's not a Christian, but you have a good time, whatever. But then like the, like you go to the movies the next weekend and you take a Christian friend. And like it's like vir- virtually the like the same night, right? The conversation wasn't really any different. Maybe someone prayed before dinner that one time, maybe that's what made it different. And we call that fellowship. You're wrong. No, 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 no. Fellowship is more than just hanging out. It's coming together and it's saying, how, how do we live this life better? It's engaging in, in good, godly conversation. It's learning to, to, how do I spur you up towards love and good deeds? And, and guys, honestly, like, we need to be taught how to do this. We need to be showed. And so, so I think small groups is the perfect way to learn how to do that. We need to learn how we can actually hey man, I, I want to pray for your math test, but can I pray for something a little more than that? 
Like, hey, like, I, I don't know about you. Maybe I'm just the weird one, but I know that this is a big struggle for me. How do you deal with this? And see, and we need to learn to have to do this fellowship. And see, here's the thing, guys. I'm going to be very clear. One of the reasons why I love being a youth pastor is because you guys are still in this point of life where you're not so quick to be hidden. I'm not saying that some of you are. Some of you, you put that wall up. You're like, I'm not letting anyone see inside this right now. But, man, I'll be honest. Sometimes adults are the worst. Just hide. And then they don't feel the need to share. And they don't get accountability. But I'm saying, you guys, you guys, don't, don't fall into that typical mold that I'm just going to live my life in isolation. Learn to have fellowship with one another. You see, I mean, I, I could keep talking and talking about the relevance of First John. But I want you guys to, to, to be thinking about all of these things. How do I, in fact, know that I'm a Christian, that I am born again, that these are just not things that I've, I've assented to mentally, but I actually have been transformed by the gospel, that it has sunken deep into my heart, that I care about fellowship with other Christians, that I need to be concerned, does my life add up to what I say? And so I said it before, and I'll say it again. Two things I want to happen after studying First John. One, that you would be assured and confident that you, in fact, have been born again and that Christ is your Savior. Or two, you would realize that you are not a Christian. Like, I just hope there's one night you, you hear a pastor, you, you, you're seeing what it's saying. Like, okay, it makes sense. I see what Aaron's talking about. I don't do this. He would turn to Christ. And you would turn from your sins. This is First John, guys. I hope you're excited. I encourage you to read it, to, to, to ponder it, to memorize it, to go to someone in your small group and talk about it. I hope we can grow together through it. So let's pray. Let's end this night by praying. God, I thank you so much for the book of First John. And God, just a couple of verses here that I think are so important. That, that we can have confidence that we know who Jesus is because, God, you have allowed for the apostles to have their gospel written down. And I pray, Lord, that we would be concerned about the apostolic gospel. The gospel that says it is only through faith in Jesus Christ in which we are justified. God, I pray that there's anyone here who has believed the lie that just because they prayed a prayer one time, they're a Christian, that they would wrestle with the truths that are in this book. God, make us better for this time in your word. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.